We're starting a series today called Committed More Than a Fan. Here's what's interesting. How many of you know, how many of you have ever been to a football game? How many of you have ever acted a fool at a football game? You know, what happens to us is, is that we get there, we get caught up in the excitement and the momentum of the moment. We cast aside every ounce of discretion we have in our world, and we act like an idiot. And then we say, but I'm doing it for the team. What I found is that there's thousands of people in the stand needing exercise, and there's, you know, 40, 50, 100 guys on the, on the field and on the sidelines needing rest. And what we're called to do in the sense of Christianity is that we're not called to be fans of Jesus. We're called to be committed to Jesus Christ. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at that whole aspect of moving from the place of talking about how great the game was and how wonderful this was and how wonderful that was to actually committing our lives to Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews, if you'll go there this morning, Hebrews chapter 10, and as you're turning there, let me say hello to the campuses today. My name is Eddie Couples. I'm the lead pastor for Love and Truth Ministries. Wherever you're gathering today in a Love and Truth Church, we're glad you're there. I'm excited about what God is getting ready to share with all of us together, so why don't you get ready to receive the Word of God today as I preach it here at this location. The book of Hebrews, the, the 10th chapter, and I'm going to read uh, several verses of Scripture, more than I normally do, beginning in verse number 19 and reading down through verse 25 uh, in the New International Version. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us, verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 24, and let us, are you noticing lettuces in here? And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now within this passage, the apostle is writing to the church there and he is telling them, here's, here's how you have entered into a relationship with God. Here's how you've come into that place where you now are, are living in relationship. And he begins to lay out commitments. In fact, there are four lettuces in those passages. And for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at each one of those each week. And, and, and so today, what, what we're going to be looking at today is our commitment to Christ. Each and every one of us are called to be committed to Jesus Christ. Now, I don't, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there is really a sense within our world today of a lack of commitment. Uh, in preparation for this series, of course, as you begin to prepare for anything in life or, you know, how many of you have ever noticed if you buy a car, uh, all of a sudden you start noticing every car. You never notice a car like that. And now everywhere you go, you see that same kind of car. Well, when I'm in preparation for a series, and we normally lay these out, uh, you know, several months in advance, I, I start noticing things that go along with commitment. Uh, and so as I was doing this, one day I was coming here, we just, uh, there's just a new gym open here close to the church here in Jackson, and, uh, and I noticed a sign one day, and it was the best sign ever for church. Here's what it says. You ready? No commitment, $15 a month. 
I said, that's a great slogan for church. No commitment. If you give $15 a month, praise God, you're in. And, and I looked at that. Some of you are nervous. I looked at it and I thought, you know what? That's kind of how we live. No commitment. Put a little money down. Let's not worry about it. And yet, Jesus Christ calls for a radical commitment. When Jesus shows up, he says things such as, leave everything you got, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's, that's pretty radical commitment. Jesus comes into our life, and, and, and it's easy, and this is what we find so often, it's easy to receive Jesus as Savior. It's wonderful. He's paid the price. All we have to do is confess our sin. We just come into the place. But you know what? He doesn't want to just be your Savior. He wants to be your Lord. Now, lordship is a whole nother rung in the level. So whether you're here today and you're just kind of investigating this whole Christianity thing, and you're just kind of looking in from the outside saying, well, you know, somebody invited me. They told me they'd take me to lunch today if I'd go to church with them. So here I am. We're glad you're here. We're, that's great. Or, or maybe you've been living for Christ for a long time. I want to challenge all of us to look at this passage of Scripture. I, I'm going to be in the 22nd verse the, the rest of the day, and, and we're going to look at, at what this Scripture says to us. Let, let's just go over it again. He, here's what he says. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, there are some intricate things that he's talking about in there. What, what he is referring to here is, is the, the covenant that God has made with mankind. And I don't want to get, get so far into that today that I, I lose the focus of the message. But understand that God entered into covenant throughout human history. You find there's a, a covenant with, uh, with Adam and Eve. There's an Abrahamic covenant. Uh, there's a covenant with Noah. There's a co I mean, as you study Scripture, you find that God is always entering into covenant with man. And here's what God's covenant always is. If you will, then I will. If you'll do this, then here's what I will do. Now, what's, what's great about this is that then God institutes a new covenant through Jesus Christ. And that covenant, the Bible says, is a better covenant than Abraham had. And yet the Word of God tells us in the New Testament that, Ab that Abraham was blessed in all things. And so if there's a better covenant than Abraham had, I want to get involved in it. And so this passage is talking about how that we get there. How do I get there? I get there through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not what I've done. I didn't get good enough. I didn't quit doing enough bad things. I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't show up enough times to church. None of those things recommend me to the grace of God. The only thing that does is the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on my behalf. Jesus Christ came as a pure spotless lamb without sin and he offered himself as a ransom. In other words, he gave his life so I don't have to give my life because the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So I deserve death. Every one of us in here, every person listening to me today, we deserve death. But Jesus Christ came and he gave himself so that you and I could have life. And the scripture says that we can have that life more what? Abundantly, right? And, and so that's what I want to show you today. I want to show you how you get committed. Now let's, let's dig into this passage. The, the first thing it says to us is it says that we need to draw near. 
Now, as, as I began to look at that, I thought, okay, draw near. What does that mean? What is, there's kind of a negative process and a positive process. Let's talk about the negative first and get it out of the way. The, the negative is this, is that if I'm going to draw near to God, it means I've got to leave the old lifestyle. Uh-oh, I'm going old school. You ready? Come on, you ready? I, I want to tell you that in your life, when you get saved, you've got to lay some stuff down. If you get saved today and you're still living the exact same way tomorrow, you might not be saved. Right? You might be a redneck if. I mean, you might, you might be a sinner if your life is still the same that it was the day after you confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. See, there, there, there's got to be a leave. I, I, I hate to tell you, some, some of us have to leave some old friendships and, and some people we used to hang with and people we used to run with uh, because everything they do and everywhere they go is negative. I, I, I want to say this to you. I can't party all weekend long, uh-oh, and then show up at church on Sunday and do what the Scripture says, lift holy hands without wrath and without doubting. See, I, I've got I've to leave that old lifestyle. I can't sleep with somebody that's not my companion that I'm not married to, but then show up at church and say, hallelujah, brother. See, some, there's a disconnect there somewhere. And, and yet we've got, we've got a lot of Christians who are walking around saying, but I live in grace, pastor. I, I've got the grace of God on my life. So, you know, I, I know I got a little something, something over here and a little something over there. And, and I just named two. I don't have time to name them all. Okay, so if I didn't name yours, it doesn't mean it's not wrong. <laughs> all right, but, but, but we, got, we got all these things, and, and we're, we're saying, well, the grace of God. Listen, I thank God for grace, and I'm thankful the Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. But I also know that the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. That's pretty strong language. God forbid, how shall we who are dead to sin continue any longer therein? So this drawing near to God means I've got to lay, lay aside the, the old lifestyle, the people I've run with, all of those things. But the positive part of that is this, is that I now have the opportunity to come close to God. See, it says, draw near to the Lord. I leave some stuff, but you know what? All that stuff that I leave, no big deal. Why? Because now I get to come into the presence of the Almighty God. I get to have the right kind of relationships. I get to have the right kind of people in my life. I get to now move into this place where I can gather together week in and week out with believers who are pursuing the same thing that I am, who are moving forward into the kingdom of God. God's Word lets us know that you and I, the Bible says it this way, can now approach the throne of God boldly to make our petitions known. And so that's what we're called to do, is that I'm, I've got to draw near to the Lord. So that's the first aspect in, in committing my life to Christ, is I've got to draw near Him. Secondly, it goes in there and it says, with a sincere heart. Now that word sincere there, I looked it up, and here's what it means. It means a right and genuine attitude toward God. I, I, I've got to come to God with a right and a genuine attitude. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and they're telling you the right stuff 
but there's something about the way they're saying it, you don't believe a word they're saying. Come on, you know what I mean? I mean, the, the words are right, their lips are moving, and everything they say is right, but, but there's just, there's a little problem here, okay? I, I want to tell you, there are times that people come, quote-unquote, to God, they confess their sin, but their attitude, they don't come with a sincere heart. You know, it's, it's kind of like the guy who gets saved the day before he gets sentenced. Now, thank God, I, I believe you can do that, but I also believe that a lot of people just say that so they can tell the judge, I got saved yesterday. Instead of coming to that place and saying, wait a minute, I should have been living for God all along. See, a sincere heart basically means this. It means truth on the inward part. It means in my life that I've got the truth of God and I am coming to that place where I am living my life. So God, I am showing up today not so that somebody can see me or somebody, somebody can look at me. It's not I'm coming to, into the house of God today trying to make another business deal or whatever. I am coming today because I want to draw near to you because I know what you want to do in my life. It's, it's that whole that, that aspect of a full assurance of faith. That I know, the Bible says, in whom I have believed, and I know that he is able to keep that which I have committed against that day. And so as we do that, what we find is, is that our heart is now right with God. And that you and I can now begin to live in the abundance that God has for us in every aspect of our life. What it's talking about there is my unwavering confidence that I'm not shaken when the wind blows. I, 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 don't, I don't get up in the morning and go, am I still saved or am I lost? No, I've got confidence in the Lord God Almighty. I've put my faith in Him. You know what I know about God? He never fails. He never fails. I fail. I mess up. I do things that I shouldn't do, but God never fails. And so I can, with great assurance, go, Lord, I've got confidence in you, and I can receive with gladness, with enthusiasm, and I can boldly approach the throne of God, the Bible says, to make my petitions known. That's what it means to have a sincere heart toward God. That, Lord, I'm drawing near to you, and I'm doing that today because I want my relationship with you to be built on faith. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on there, and it talks about that our heart, with our hearts being sprinkled. Now, that's an interesting kind of uh, word picture there. It talks about there that our hearts are sprinkled. What it's referring to is that the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for us. And it's an allusion back to the Old Testament where once a year that the high priest would go into what was called the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant was. Uh, let me do this. How many of you have ever seen uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? I'll break it down for you. All right? How many of you remember when all their faces melted? Okay, that's the Ark of the Covenant. Not really, but symbolized. That'll help you, okay? That's the picture you need to have. And, and, and literally, it was so, uh, such a holy place that they would tie a rope around the high priest's ankle when he would go in, because if God did not accept the sacrifice, they had to pull him out because he was dead. So it was a pretty, pretty awesome thing. And yet, what he would do is he would go in once a year with the blood, and he would sprinkle that on the mercy seat. And then he would come out. If, if, he, if he came out, then he would come out, and he would cry, sins forgiven. 
And the people of the nation would know that their sins had been forgiven and they had been rolled ahead for another year. Jesus Christ, the Word of God says, not only forgives us, but God's Word says that He takes our sins and places them as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against you again. What Jesus' covenant does is that it's not just sins forgiven, it's sins forgiven and sins forgotten. You and I have been brought into this relationship. And so we, our heart experiences this great sacrifice and, and this evil conscience that we have. This conscience uh, that's been oppressed by sin. Let me ask a question. How many of you have ever sinned? Look at your neighbor. If they don't have their hand up, they're sinning right now because they're lying in church. <laughs> and you know what? Because of that, because of that sin, our conscience accuses us. It says, look what you did. Look at all that stuff. But, but that conscience that accuses us of guilt, we have this consciousness of evil, but God has come to set us free. Jesus came to bring pardon to our life, bring more renewal into our existence, and to deliver us from a spirit of legalism. You say, what do you mean by that? The devil's a legalist. The devil looks at the law of God, and when you violate the law of God, the Bible says that he is before the Father accusing the brothers and, and the people of God. He, he, he's accusing you before God, all right? And, and so what he does is he says, look, look, they messed up here, 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 here. Why? Because he's legalist. And the legal requirement of the law is judgment. But you know what? Come on, don't miss it. Jesus Christ has already paid your penalty. He's already suffered your death. He's already experienced everything that you ought to experience. And now all that you've got to do is that you've got to come and you've got to live in that place where there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but we walk after the Spirit. And, and so we have that today. But it goes on that and it throws something in kind of toward the end of that verse that's interesting. And it says, and having your bodies washed... Uh, you know, what does that mean? Uh, we going to give out bars of soap so everybody go home, take a bath? Is that what that's about? No. It was common, if you study uh, history, uh, you, you'll find out it was common in Jewish history for before they went into the temple of the tabernacle that they would wash themselves. Or there were even times where they would baptize themselves. And, and so when you study the Scripture, and most scholars will agree with this, that this is an allusion to baptism, Okay. That baptism uh, is what it's talking about here. Now, I want everybody to listen carefully to me as, as I take the next six, eight, ten minutes to talk to you about baptism. Because I want you to understand, I believe that we are saved by grace through faith. I, I have no problem with that. But I also believe that Scripture time and time again tells us that baptism is part of the process of salvation. The Scripture's clear about that, and I'll give you some of those Scriptures because I know that when you say that, then people go, he's saying that if I don't, and this, and this, and this. No, 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 just chill. Go with me. All right, let's, let's, let's get the, the process out before you make a judgment. The Word of God's quite clear about baptism. Baptism is very vital. Baptism is very important. Baptism is so important that Jesus Christ told John the Baptist, I need to be baptized of you. Now, that, that's pretty important. 
I, I would say if Jesus needed to be baptized, whoo, how much more do we need to be baptized? The, the Word of God in the book of 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter and the 11th verse says this, and that is what some of you were. Now, it's referring to our old lifestyle and the way we used to be. But it says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, again, it's talking about baptism. It's talking about that when we come into relationship with God, that it is a picture of what Jesus Christ has already done. The death, the burial, the resurrection. And so when I come into relationship with God, that I too am to follow that same picture. I'm to die, I'm to be buried, and I'm to be resurrected. That's what the picture of baptism is. When you come into the waters, you have signified your death. When you go under, you signify burial. And when you come up, you signify resurrection. That's what the Word of God's talking about. But people say, well, pastor, I just don't think it's important to be baptized. George Barna recently did a survey across the, the United States with, uh, with Christians. And, and the, the, the statistic was unbelievable. He said, and again, I have to go by his statistics, he said that less than 30% of people who make a confession for Jesus Christ then follow it up with water baptism. Now, I think that that's horrible. I think the Word of God is quite clear, and I'll give you some more because I can tell how quiet it's got. So I'll back it up with Scripture. The book of Acts, the 22nd chapter, the 16th verse says this, and now what are you waiting for? I love that. I just want to stop right there and say to some of you, what are you waiting for? Well, pastor, you know, I, I want Meemaw to be here. Well, Meemaw didn't save you. Just go ahead and get baptized. You can take a picture and send it to Meemaw. Well, you got to, listen, I understand. But my question is, what are you waiting for? Here's what he says. Get up. Be baptized. Wash away your sins. Calling on his name. Baptism is a powerful picture of what God is doing in our lives. It is a powerful, not only is it a metaf metaphorical thing, but I believe it's also a spiritual thing. That as I identify with Jesus Christ in baptism, that something spiritually also takes place in my life. It is the picture of the children of Israel that as they crossed over the, the sea, the Red Sea there, and the Word of God lets us know that they went through the sea, and when they got to the other side, their enemies came to, to try to catch up with them, and God let the sea come back and cover them. I believe it's a picture of cutting off the old lifestyle and moving into everything that God has for us. The book of 1 Peter, the third chapter, the 21st verse says this, this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Can I back up and read that again? Because I get in trouble if I say that, so I'm just going to read the Bible to you. You're going to take it up with Peter and Jesus. This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Not the removal of dirt, he said, not in the natural, from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you. Now, he, he explains it. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, is that when you do this, you are entering into a spiritual awakening in your life that happens when you get baptized. 
The book of Mark, the 16th chapter and the 16th verse says this, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So Scripture time and again gives us this whole process that you and I need to do. Yes, we're saved by grace. Yes, we're saved because we confess Jesus Christ. But part of the process of moving into the fullness that God has called us to is to follow Him in the waters of baptism. On the day of Pentecost, the Bible says, they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What did Peter say to them? Repent and be baptized. He didn't say, just repent and go home, everything's wonderful. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8 tells us that Philip goes to Samaria to preach the gospel, and it says, and they believed and were baptized believed and were baptized the 10th chapter is Cornelius's household Peter's preaching to them and the word of God says that as Peter yet spake these words the Holy Spirit fell on them well that ought to be good enough right come on if the Holy Spirit fell on them that ought to be sealed enough and yet you keep reading and it says and they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Acts the 19th chapter, it says, Paul, seeing certain disciples of John, said, Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? They said, We don't even know what you're talking about. He said, How are you baptized? Now, here's where I'm going to get in trouble. How are you baptized? He, they, he said, They said, Under John's baptism. He said, John truly baptized under repentance, saying, There's one coming mighty, after me that's mightier than I, whose shoelaces I'm not worthy to unloose, and he'll baptize you with the fire and the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, Then he rebaptized them. He baptized them again in the name of the Lord Jesus. I, I want to I say to you today, some of you have had a baptism back there somewhere. Some of you were baptized as babies. You know what? Thank God for that confession of faith of your parents. But you know what? You need to make a confession of faith. You need to make a public declaration of your decision to follow Jesus Christ. Some of you were baptized in other places another time. Some of you were baptized as children. You don't even remember why you did it the book of revelation talks about doing your first works over and then hebrews the sixth chapter lists some different doctrines and one of those is the doctrine of baptisms and it's it's kind of hand in hand there that that sometimes we need to go back and make that fresh commitment maybe we got away from christ for a while we, we got away from a relationship with god for a while and now we're back in relationship we need to once again make that fresh commitment People say, well, Pastor, it doesn't matter if I get baptized or not. You know what? That makes about as much sense as saying to that person who you want to spend the rest of your life with, hey, I want to marry you, but I don't want anybody to know it. <laughs> we're going to keep it down. We, we're not going to tell anybody. We'll do it secretly. I'll tell you, I'm married to you. You'll tell me you're, you're married to me, but I don't want you living in my house. <laughs> I don't want you using my name. I don't want you to have access to my bank account. <laughs> you, you just, you do your thing, I'll do mine, but we're going to be married. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Anybody that's got an ounce of anything will look at you and go, are you ashamed of me? Why? 
Because if you won't publicly identify with me, it says that you're ashamed of me. The Word of God says that if we don't publicly declare our allegiance to the Lord, that what we're saying is, I'm ashamed of you. And the Word of God says that if we're ashamed of Him, then He's going to be ashamed of us. You say, well, Pastor, how do I get committed to Jesus Christ? Let me quickly give it to you. Number one is I've got to admit I need Him. I've got to admit I've got a need in my life. Lord, I need you today. So that's number one. That's A. Secondly, is I've got to believe he can save me. Now, I, if I've got a need, but I don't believe he, he's great enough to save me, it's not going to do any good. So not only do I have to admit, I've also got to believe he can save me. Thirdly, I've got to confess my sins and my Savior. The Bible says if we confess our sin, that God is just and faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I've got, to, I've got to confess that, but I've also got to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. So I'm about to make that confession. In a prayer, I just say, Lord, today I ask you to come and forgive me of my sins. I ask that the blood of Jesus Christ wash away every aspect of my old life. And I confess I've been a sinner and that I need saving. But today, I know that you're going to save me. And Jesus, I confess you as my Lord. I confess you as the king of my life, and I ask you to come in. You know what happens? When you do that, you move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. But you don't stop there. The last thing is you've got to do what his word commands. It's an A, B, C, D this morning. You've got to do what his word commands, and that is you need to follow him in the waters of baptism. If we are open in our confession of everything else, why would we not be open through baptism in our confession of Jesus Christ? as our Lord and Savior. And so I challenge you today, as I wrap this morning up, I challenge you to look within your life and to determine, are you committed to Jesus? Have you given your life to Him? And are you following Him in every aspect of your life?